Welcome to City Life Church. We're honored that you would be with us this weekend. And if you have your Bible, I hope you have your Bible because we're in church, but we're also going to be reading a lot of text tonight. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1 and you can bookmark Ephesians chapter 4 because those are the two big texts we're going to dive into tonight. And if you're taking notes, we're in the series, The Story. Somebody before service was like, yeah, we've been in the series for what, like four weeks? I'm like, no, we've been in this for like four months. We've been in this series for a long time together, and the subtitle is The Bible Tells a Story, and You Have a Part to Play. But speaking of the Bible, to start, here's a wild stat. Lifeway did a survey of thousands of American churchgoers a couple years ago to see uh, if and whether we're reading our Bibles. And in this survey, 90%, so 9-0, 90% of churchgoers said that they want to please the Lord in everything they do. That's a good goal. Count me in for that 90%. But while 90% said that, only 19%, one nine, admitted to reading the Bible daily. Some 20% said they they just plain don't read it, ever. We'll come back to those statistics in a second, but uh, we'll come back to it. But I used to live in Barnes & Noble. Anybody like a, a good bookstore? I know David Hayne would go up right away, but I used to live in Barnes & Noble, and there was a reason. When, when the uh, City Life campus got planted years ago, maybe some of y'all were there, you know this, uh, years and years back, and I was working in Williamsburg, there was an older gentleman that was renting a, a room in his apartment for super cheap, and it was super cheap because it was like a glorified closet. It was like the size of that drum cage. Like, you put a twin bed in, and then you walk in the door, and you're like, just shuffling around. So I didn't complain. I saved a ton of money, and I just lived in Barnes & Noble. And as a recent English grad, that wasn't like uh, exile for me. That was like utopia. Like if there was a ladder, I would have been like swinging on it like Belle and Beauty and the Beast. Like, oh, look at all these books, right? So I just lived there. And I never did this myself, but I got a chuckle out of a a gentleman who just thought that like the, the sections of the bookstore were a little too confusing. So he printed out his own uh, labels for the sections, and he actually put them up in the bookstore. So Mackenzie, you can throw the first one up. The first one we see is the romance section transformed into the dudes who lost their shirts section. And then next we see that the nature or animals section morphed into the animals I want to wrestle. And then books on testing and college are now anxiety-inducing books. And my favorite might be this one where the recipe and cooking section became the meals you intend to make but never will. And my favorite part is beneath that, he literally put takeout menus. He said, I mean, seriously, here are some takeout menus because, come on, let's be honest. <laughs> and I share this, one, because it's funny, but also to, to ask the question in light of that sad statistic we opened with, do we go to our Bible so little because we need to relabel it, right? Like the man in Barnes & Noble, have we put the, the wrong classification on what Scripture is? Some people would look at Scripture and say, well, it's fantasy, But you look at scripture, unlike many religions, it's not trying to help us escape reality. It's trying to help us embrace the fullness of reality. And other people might say, well, you put it in like the self-help section. But you know, Mark 8 in the message version, Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, I have to take the lead. He says, self-help is no help at all. And you might take books like the Psalms and say, yeah, you could put that in like the poetry section, Leviticus, maybe like the back end of Exodus would go in, the, in the, the law section. You got Kings and Chronicles that would go in history, Song of Solomon. You could put that in the dudes who lost their shirts section. Uh, but we're often guilty of thinking of the Bible as like this, this patchwork composition of law and history and poetry and letters and the like. It's just this compilation of disconnected works. 
But the Bible makes the labels inadequate because it asserts that it's a story of God's people and their history. Not some work of fiction or fantasy, but a true story that is eternal, that's cosmic. It's infinitely bigger than us, and yet each one of us has a part to play. How can I say that? Because the Bible already has its last pages, but you read Revelation, it tells us how this is all going to end. But we aren't there yet. The story is yet to be finished, and we, the church, each one of us individual, we have a part to play. But the thing is, we won't be able to play our part in the story until we've absorbed the Bible. We've read the Bible, and we're so familiar with it that it deeply shapes the rest of our lives. And I argue one reason the church hasn't played its role well is because we've lost the plot. Part of why we parked it in this series for so long, so that we can know the story, so that we can tell the story and live the way as Fred just hit on again and again. And we've spent months looking at elements of the story we're in. And if you know the diagram that we put on the screen again and again, up there has been uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 and the idea of a new heart or a new creation. And one theme you see throughout the Bible is God making things new. Whether it's the first pages of scripture and the initial creation or the penultimate chapter in Revelation 21 where Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. And again, on our diagram, we've worked off all these months is, that, is the verse 2 Corinthians 5.17, which reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And if I can, I want to read the amplified version where it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, joins to him by faith in him as Savior, they are a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. And tonight as we begin unpacking this, this big idea of new creations and new heart and new life, I want to piggyback build off of the passage Pastor Fred has preached from for the last two weeks in John chapter one. Because as we talk about new creations, John's gospel is beautifully crafted and it begins and ends with nods to creation. In John chapter one, verses one through five, it says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. See, as an eternal part of the Trinity, we see Jesus was present and part of the original creative order. John opens his gospel, pointing to creation, pointing to the garden. And then I love that in John 20, towards the end of the gospel, when Jesus is resurrected, it, it points to this new creation that, that's sparked by the resurrection, and he walks out into a garden. It says when Mary finds him, right, she's got her eyes clouded with tears. No doubt she's mourning, and she sees him out of the corner of her eye. She just assumes it's a gardener. She was only half wrong, because Jesus is the OG, the original gardener, and he was making a new creative order. And this new creation, it was alluded to in John chapter 1. Verses 10 through 13, where it says, Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. But this is the same new creative order that confounded and confused the religious leaders of Jesus' day, 
This is the idea of being reborn, that confounded and confused Nicodemus just a couple chapters later in John chapter 3. And so Paul, you see in his letters again and again in the New Testament, almost in each one, he tries to explain this and spell it out for those that would read it. Again, you've got 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we read, but then in, in Colossians in that letter in 3, 9, and 10, he says, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Or to the church in Rome, he says in Romans 6, 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And the alternative is later in Romans 13, 14. He says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Or in Galatians, Chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, he says, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And then I want to land in this text tonight, in the church to Ephesus. In Ephesians 4, I want to read verses 17 through 24 and then dive into this text together. He says to the church in Ephesus, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you read all these different verses we just read, talking about new clothes, new creations, new heart, new life, and then it's like, okay, seems kind of out there, ethereal, hard to grasp. What does that look like in my life tonight? What does this look like for me this week? How do we nail this down, this new creation. And as I began digging in this week, I just asked the question, okay, well, how does God create? How does God create anything? And we have an account of creation in Genesis 1. And I believe we can glean from that when looking at Paul's discussions about being a new creation. And the first thing we see in Genesis 1 is that God creates order from chaos. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it sets the scene as God hovers over uncontrolled chaos. It describes the earth as formless and empty, out of order. And then it goes on to say that, that darkness was over the deep. And in the context of the ancient Near East, both darkness and deep waters were symbols of chaos. So we got a, a, a double emphasis here. And as a result, one translation puts it plainly, the earth was chaos and waste. And if I can call time out, say pause. I know that's encouraging for me. I don't know about your life. Maybe I'm alone in this. <laughs> Maybe I'm preaching to myself. But sometimes my life can feel like uncontrolled chaos. And sometimes if we're honest, it can feel frightening or like life is just wasting away day by day. But the same spirit of God that hovered over creation is the spirit that resides in us. And I find a special peace in the fact that God has specialized in bringing order out of chaos since the first verses of the Bible and from since creation. And chaos also makes an appearance in Ephesians 4 tonight, in that text. Not by name, but in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, it describes life outside of God as chaotic. A chaos, especially in our minds. The result of sin in the garden and the disorder and chaos it caused 
in God's creation. But the Bible is a story, and it's a story about God bringing restoration. To what? Well, in creation, we see that we were created in his image. And that image was marred by sin just chapters and moments later in our text. And the rest of the Bible is a story about God initiating our restoration as new creations to grow back into his image and his likeness. And this wasn't some off-the-rails plot twist that God didn't see coming. It says in Romans 8, 29 that God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who would love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored, and we see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. And in John 1.13, as we read earlier, this ability to be reborn as sons and daughters, it was the will of God. It wasn't man's plan or passion, but God's will. See, God initiates rebirth. Even in our chaos, even in our mess, Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, right, while we were still a hot mess, Jesus died for us. He initiates rebirth, and then he invites us into, this is an important, relationship. And that proper relationship we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, in Christ. Those that are in Christ are a new creation. See, seeds, they don't just grow outside of the soil. you gotta, you got to plant them. And when God creates in Genesis 1, he says, let there be land. And when it comes to our life as new creations, Jesus is the sure foundation. He's the land. He's the soil, the solid ground that we can take root in. Matter of fact, it says in Colossians 2, 7, let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. See that you go on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. So see to it that you go on growing. See, God initiates, but we're called to cultivate. I've heard it said, uh, I'm probably going to butcher it, I can't remember it exactly, but becoming a new creation is totally the work of God in which we become totally involved in after our first spiritual breath. Otherwise, it's a spiritual stillbirth. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15 says, No prolonged infancies among us, please. God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything. And as Paul says elsewhere in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This short verse speaks so much to what we're talking about tonight because we see God doesn't just work a new creation in us, He works with us. He works in us, and we work it out. Mind you, not work for, right? God initiates it. Jesus paid the price for our salvation. We don't earn it or work for it. We work it out. See, when I go to the gym, you can say I work out. And I'm not working out to to earn some new body or, or, or earn anything. I'm trying to develop and cultivate the body I've already been given. It's the same with spiritual training and discipline. We do it to develop and cultivate what we've already been given. Like Adam tending to creation after his own first breath, we're called to tend to our new creation and cultivate and grow our lives in Christ. Shout out to David. He's going to be preaching next week, and I love the way he he, uh, presents the Bible. He preached a sermon last summer. I was thinking about a lot this week because he preached from Genesis 2.15, where it said, The Lord God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and take care of it. Creation is this gift. It's initiated by God, and then Adam is placed in it. And the ordering of that creation was something God employed Adam in, from the naming of the animals to the cultivating of the land. And as God asks Adam to cultivate and grow the new creation in Eden, he asks us to cultivate and grow the new creation in us. So you can be born again in Christ Jesus, though, and still have consequences of, of past sin that linger, whether it's trauma from things that happened to us, whether it's addictions based on what you've done, 
There can be residual chaos, if I can call it that tonight, in our lives, even after we're made new creations. That shouldn't cast doubt on your salvation. That shouldn't cast doubt on your justification through Jesus. But it should cause somebody that's a new creation to run to God. Why? Because, again, we're reminded in this creation narrative that God redeems. God is someone who takes order, makes order from chaos. And I want to remind you tonight, those things that we're quickest to sweep under the rug, to deny or try to hide, whether it's a secret addiction, depression, family scars, trauma, abuse, whatever it may be, that seeming chaos is still under God, his authority, his creative order, and his ability to make new things out of a mess. So we don't avoid those things. We don't sweep them under the rug. We bring them to him. We keep them in the light because God is with you. He's over you. Just like the spirit was hovering over that chaos, God is in you. And no matter what you're in. And God asked Adam to cultivate and grow the new creation in Eden. And God asked us to cultivate and grow the new creation until we look like Christ. Paul says, again, we looked at that passage. We're to cultivate and work it out with fear and trembling. He's saying, look, it's serious. And if you take it seriously, again, you're going to start asking the question, okay, how do I do it? And again, I think if we look to creation, we see three clues right there in the creation narrative. And the first is, God says, let there be light. And it's notable, while we noted chaos may not make an appearance in our passage in Ephesians 4, darkness, synonymous with chaos, does. But you know who makes an appearance in my house regularly and has for the last five years? Is my son gets uh, fixated on specific movies, specific shows, even specific episodes of shows. But one movie he's been watching for five years, multiple times a week, that I've probably seen more than any movie in my own life because I rewatch it with him, is Moana. He loves him, so Moana, he probably thinks he's related to her. I don't know, but he loves Moana. And it's, it's, it's an, a story, if you've never seen it, about an adventurous teenage Pacific Islander who sets on a sail across the ocean to save the world. And in it is this concept of wayfinding. So how do you navigate a boat in the ocean, right? Or more importantly, how do you even navigate a boat in the ocean at night when it's dark? And she learns to use her hand to measure angles between the stars and the horizon to determine latitude. And actually, this is, like, historical. I didn't even notice until I was, like, working on this that she's measuring, like, Orion's belt to the horizon. In the movie, I'm just thinking it's a mishmash of stars up there. But Polynesian voyagers had memorized star maps. And they knew when particular stars, as they rotated through the night sky, would pass over their destination. If stars were randomly distributed each night, they'd all be lost. But they're locked in place in the sky, so we're able to navigate with them. And I share that because whatever darkness we find ourselves in, from the culture at large to our personal circumstance, God provides a light to navigate with. And what does John call this light? He calls it the Word. In the Word was life, and that life was the light of man. And this isn't a stretch. In the ancient world, light was a universal symbol for knowledge and understanding and revelation. And Ephesians shows us to be in sin is confusion. Again, in verses 17 through 19, it talks about sin as if it's a futility and malfunction of the mind resulting in spiritual blackout. But what helps us take this off and throw this off in verse 21 says the truth that comes from Jesus. And this isn't just in the New Testament, post-Jesus. <laughs> in Psalm 43, verse 3, David says, send forth your light and truth. Let them guide me to the place where you dwell. Famously in Psalm 119, 105, he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. See, God's word is light. It's light and truth, and you need to let there be light in your life. The same way plants need light to grow, we as new creation need his word to grow. 
to circle back to Raj because as I was telling Jesse before service, I, can, I always got to talk about Raj, but Raj is uh, growing at a ridiculous rate. I was looking down at some of his shoes this morning. And I'm like, are those shacks? Like, what is happening in my house? How is he growing so fast? And people who see him, you know, once every couple months, they're like, my goodness, he's growing. What is happening? And I just tell him we feed him a lot of eggs and hot dogs. And <laughs> there's a story. Uh, Steph ran into a, a gentleman at a grocery store, like when we had first adopted Raj. And he was malnourished in his youth, so in his infancy. So he wasn't even on the curve for height and weight. He was just a tiny little dude. And this guy, <laughs> you know, when, when people from India talked to us about Raj. We always listen. Matter of fact, <laughs> rabbit trail, but I was in Starbucks. I met a, an Indian gentleman, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to adopt this boy's name, Shivraj. You know what I'm saying? The country, like Shivraj. And he's like, actually, that's not even how you say your son's name. It's Shivraj. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I should probably know that before we go and adopt him. But, but Steph ran into a gentleman at the grocery store, and they got to talking about him, and he was like, you let that boy drink eight glasses of milk a day and watch how he grows. Now, Raj drinks a lot of milk. I don't, we don't keep track very well could be eight glasses of, uh, of milk, and he keeps shooting up. So maybe that guy was onto something. But I share that because in 1 Peter 2, 2, Peter compares the word to milk. Are you getting enough to grow? And then in, in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus compares it to our daily bread. In 1 Corinthians 3, 2, Paul compares it to solid food. And in Psalm 119, verse 103, David likens it to dessert. So we're working like with a full balanced dinner with all these analogies. We got our beverage. You got your bread, like an Outback Steakhouse where they give you some bread as an appetizer. You got your solid food and then dessert. Bottom line, and my point is if you want to grow spiritually, you got to eat. Growing in wisdom and knowledge through God's word is not just a mark of growth and maturity either. It's a mark of loving God. Jesus gives us the greatest command where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he puts mind there for a reason, because God expects us to put in the work of cultivating our minds, our intellects with knowledge and wisdom, not, not just uh, uh, from out there, but in his word, right? Well, Christians should be lifelong learners, always pursuing his truth because it's infinite. <laughs> but you see, behind every action is a thought. And to put off the old and put on the new, we have to change the way we think. In verse 23 of Ephesians 4 tonight, it says, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Repentance in the Greek means to change your mind. But it's the step we skip as we often resort to resolutions and trying harder, but we keep our mind and our thoughts on autopilot. And we struggle with this because as statistics show, we're living in the dark. Another survey found that 80%, over 80% of people that go to church don't open their Bible outside of church. It jives with the one that says only 19% read their Bible daily. We stunt our own growth like expecting to grow a plant and keeping it in a dark closet. If we're going to grow as new creations, we have to let there be the light of God's truth. So how do we let there be light practically with God's word? This first one's going to blow your mind. It's three R's. First one, read it. Open your Bible. <laughs> read it. But secondly, research. And I'm not talking about like write a thesis or do what David's doing, write a paper three days a week because he's in school. I'm not talking that. I'm not talking about writing essays. I'm just talking about when a question arises, you read the Bible, you're like, hmm. Actually seek out the answer. Wrestle with the text. Engage the text. And then after you've done all that, reflect. We talked about it earlier. Remembering. Memorize it. Meditate on it. It's not a dirty word. It just means focused thinking. We do focus thinking all the time when we worry. If you can worry, guilty. You can meditate on Scripture. But maybe, most importantly, we should do something with it. Jesus calls himself the way, 
So <laughs> Raj would love this. If you're going to follow Christ, you got to do a little wayfinding. you got to use the light he's given you to navigate the life he's given you. Just as God's word sparked the original creation, God's word will cultivate the new creation in us. So light was day one. Day two, we see God says, let there be an expanse. Now, that word in the Hebrew, there's all kinds of debate. Is it like a dome? Uh, uh, what does that word expanse mean? Well, elsewhere in Scripture and in ancient literature, it's used to describe the sky or the heavens. And we see in verse 17, this is where God places the stars or the heavenly bodies. See, Raj has a soft spot for Moana. I got a soft spot for any movie about outer space. Apparently, I missed my calling as an astronaut, like, it could be a, a B-grade horror movie like Life that was out a few years ago that happens in outer space. I'm all about it. Interstellar, I can remember watching that with Steph in IMAX however many years ago. I don't even want to know how many years ago. Just having my mind blown. I just love movies about outer space and just the visual. I joke with Steph, like if I find out I got a few weeks to live, just shoot me up into space in a pod with like a Sam's Club pack of water. I just want to take it all in before I go. But my, my love for the cosmos isn't alone. It, it, Jesus says... In John chapter 3, he says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And we often apply this. We say, God would have died for you, Stephanie. God would have died for you, Travis, if it was just you. And he would have died for me if it was just me. But he also, he died for the world. And the, and the, the translation of that word is literally not earth. It's the cosmos, the whole creative order. And for new creations, those born again, the implication is we should live expansively. In 2 Corinthians 6, in the message version, Paul writes, he says, Dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can with great affection. Open your lives, live openly and expansively. We're invited as new creations into something big and expansive. In Ephesians 3, right before Ephesians 4, Paul's prayer for the disciples of Jesus in Ephesus is that they would know how wide and long and high and deep and expansive is the love of God. And then in Ephesians 4, we see that not living for yourself but living for others is what it means to be a new creation. You see, too often I think we equate spiritual maturity and growth with retaining information and head knowledge. But Paul says, hey, I want to check your maturity. How are you loving people? How are you loving others? How are you living for others? And then similarly in 2 Corinthians 5, right after verse 17 and around verse 17 that talks about the new creation. We aren't born again into mere personal spiritual experiences. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're also called into a, a lifestyle of reconciliation. Not just reconciled with God as we talked about earlier, but reconciled to others. That's what makes life expansive. We're not just living a uh, uh, navel-gazing intent on self-improvement alone, but we're, we're called to reach out to others and live lives bigger than ourselves. Another thing Raj likes to watch repeatedly is anything narrated by David Attenborough. Don't know why, but it's the case. You try to play a Disney something else where it's like Natalie Portman narrating, he's like, nah, done. Put something on with David Attenborough, he's all about it. Anyways, we were watching, might have been Planet Earth, might have been Our Planet. It was talking about Redwoods. This was years ago. And I remember it talked about redwoods and their root system. I was like, oh, that's such a good picture spiritually. And I preached it. And then I read a commentary like two years later. And, and the dude like laid it out even better than I said. I was like, oh, there really is nothing new under the sun. But redwoods, these giant trees out in California, they're, they're over 300 feet tall. And some of them have been around since Jesus walked the earth. Some of these things are thousands of years old. And what blows my mind about redwoods is that they're, they're a football field tall. 
and yet their roots don't go deeper than a basketball hoop. Most of their roots are like eight, nine feet deep. But what happens is, what happened was, their roots go out to acres of land. And then what happens is when their roots make contact with each other, they fuse together. So they, the, the roots reach out horizontally and fuse over time. See, our roots should do the same. We're just exiles. We're sojourners. Our home is in heaven. We're not going to put deep roots here in this life, but we are supposed to reach out to get rooted with other people. Through relationship, through accountability, through gathering, that's how you get rooted with others. And God uses others to grow us and create in us. We need other voices in our lives. And not just books and podcasts and all those things are good, but face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, doing life together. It's how redwoods endure thousands of years and all the storms and seasons and droughts and whatever else that comes over all those centuries. They hold each other down, literally, roots. So the question is, who is holding you down? Who is the person that's speaking encouragement and life into your life in those hard seasons we all go through? Who's keeping you accountable? Who have your roots connected with? See, COVID was a storm of a season that isolated us in new creative ways. But as we come out of it, we got to return to getting rooted, moving from isolation and being forced to, in many ways, live small to living expansively again, reaching out to God, but also reaching out to others. But COVID, speaking of it as a season, points to the third element in creation we can pull from tonight, and that is seasons. See, after God created light, And after placing the lights in the sky and the stars in the expanse of the sky, he says on day four of creation that these same celestial bodies are to mark seasons, days, and years. And in one of many, Paul's many verses we we read earlier about being a new creation in Christ, he says in Colossians 3.10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It's the present continual tense. In other words, the renewal of this new creation is ongoing. Transformation, as much as we would like it to be, sanctification and looking like Jesus, as much as we would like it to be like a Disney transformation event where we're lifted off the ground, we spin around and we come down with somebody else completely, it ain't like that. Transformation, right, we want the, the microwave, uh, uh, we want the, the shortcuts to growth, but our journey to look like Christ, it's a long process. As my boy, Eugene Peterson, may he rest in peace, said it's long obedience in the same direction. But the same way that growth takes time physically, even though Raj, I don't know, he's like speeding up somehow, but the same way that growth takes time physically, it takes time spiritually. God didn't create the world in one day, created in seven. And yet as new creations, we often expect the quick fix. In some cases, like my own, I got saved when I was 21. I've been sinning for decades. And then we want the path to wholeness and healing to be minutes, moments, days. But just like our bad habits don't develop overnight, our changes often don't either. Yeah, God can, can do some amazing things in our life where it just feels like a, 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 a switch was flipped. But so often to grow, to change, it takes intentionality. It takes a decision, but then it also takes perseverance because it takes time. We have to commit and then persevere. We have to unlearn as much as we learn, sometimes destroy as much as we build. Taking off the old as we put on the new, as Paul talks about, it's a process. And the key ingredient in this process that God uses is seasons of our lives. He uses the seasons of our lives to grow us. In in life, we may experience seasons that feel like winter where there's a testing, there's a fortifying. In other seasons, it might feel like spring where there's this burst of growth and quick growth. 
But when you talk about quick growth, the parable of the four soils, I think of it often because three out of the four soils experience this burst of growth immediately. It says they shoot up. Yet only one of those soils was a success because only one endured until harvest. This was an agricultural society Jesus was speaking to. So they understood that no matter how quick the initial growth is, an unharvested crop, that's a disaster. That's an unmitigated disaster. And when you plant a tree, you got to understand that most trees don't bear fruit in the first year. They grow over seasons, and even in ideal situations, it usually takes two to four years for a tree to bear fruit. It takes seasons for it to grow to the point where it's fruitful. And just like trees in seasons, life and its seasons sometimes feel like they're, they're happening to us. But God uses them to create in us. And even and especially the hard seasons. Romans 5, 3 through 4 reads, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they develop, that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. See, a garden is a place of both growth and pruning, shedding of old leaves, growing of new ones, death and new life. And the gardener knows this and he's patient, waiting for the fruit and the growth. That's how Paul can confidently say of our creator, our divine gardener in Philippians 1, 6, he says, I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. Until that day, we see Jesus face to face. We're going to be growing continually in his grace as new creations. How? It's a big subject, but tonight with light, expanse, and seasons, scripture, community, circumstance, shaping us, growing us to look more like Christ. If you study his word, you connect with his people, and you trust him in all seasons, you're going to grow. Test me in that, all right? Cash that check. I'll write it for you. You're going to grow. And you may pause because you that sounds like work, right? There's inevitable stumbling. There's inevitable failing. In this life, we are some sinners saved and stumbling saints. And sometimes that can spark doubts. Like, am I really a new creation if I still fall short? Am I really a new creation if I'm stumbling? Every day I'm putting my foot in my mouth. Every day it seems like I sin. But our assurance for those doubts is Jesus. He's the sure foundation. Analogous, again, to the dry land God created for us that we can take root and find assurance. And again, it says in Colossians 2, 7, let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. See that you go on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. If I could have the worship team come up, you talk about this idea of new life and a new creation. There's this already not yet element to it of this whole story we're in. We're new creations, but we haven't yet grown into the image of Christ. And maybe you're discouraged tonight because you're not, as, as it says in Colossians, as strong or vigorous as you like. Or that old creation seemingly still clings to the new one. I can't remember even what book the commentary was on, but uh, there was a commentary that said the old being is drowned in baptism, but that rascal can swim. <laughs> and the answer isn't to doubt the work of God in you or be shook in your assurance, but to, as Martin Luther put it, return to your baptism daily. As we've been talking about all night, remember. Because you're not returning to your baptism literally, but, but figuratively. It's why some denominations, when you walk into the sanctuary of a church, you dip your finger in the water and you cross yourself. They don't just do that randomly. They do that because it's a reminder of our baptism. It's a reminder of repentance. 
It's a reminder of our changing of the mind, the renewing of the mind, the taking off of the old and the putting on the new. We do that spiritually as often as I take off clothes and put on clothes, right? We, it's a decision we make again and again. Repentance isn't just a word for, for a weekend service or once in your life. No, it's something we do continually, growing slowly, steadily, patiently, more like Christ. Not working for our assurance, not working for our salvation. God already gifted that to us. Jesus has already bought it at the cross. But God, we put our lives in your hands. Like potter in the hands, or excuse me, clay in the hands of the potter. Because God, we know that you've already purchased our salvation. You've already started a new creation in us. But there's a not yet. There's, there's work for us to do. There's growing for us to get to. And God, I thank you for the truth of your word. It's the, the life and light of men. And God, we cling to it. The truth that you came from heaven to take on human form and die for us so that we could become new creations and be restored into your image. And as Paul says to do it in all fear and trembling, God, we realize it's serious business. But God, we thank you that we have full assurance in you that it's a gift that we've been given and we don't work for it. We work it out. Developing, cultivating the work you want to do in us. So tonight, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, uh, bring encouragement. Maybe where we feel like we're, we're not that new creation enough. Maybe bring conviction where we've kind of uh, just become comfortable in, in areas that don't look like you, that need transformation, that need sanctification. But God, I pray that as we worship tonight, you would give us the grace and mercy we need to move forward following you, wayfinding <laughs> as you are the way, the truth, and the life. May we live our lives in ways that reflect your truth. God, make us those new creations, those trees. I think of Isaiah 61 where it says, oaks of righteousness. God, may righteousness and holiness grow in our lives in a, such a way that people don't look at us and think, oh, look at that guy, look at that woman. They're just so good. But God, in a way that would bring you glory, Jesus Christ, that we would be able to make you known here in the 757 through just our lives, God, that are committed to looking more like you every day with our decisions, our conversations, our thoughts, our habits. So God, tonight we stand as we go into worship. Let's all stand together. And God, we give you our hearts. We give you our minds. Again, we are clay in your hands. Shape us conform us into the image of your son which has been the your plan since that first page of the bible and that creation god god we submit we give our lives to you and we praise you in this place in jesus name